Welcome to the Founder to Mentor podcast. My name is Mike Fada. I'm an entrepreneur with multiple nine-figure exits and a passion for health and mentorship. Join me on a journey where I connect with world-class founder mentors to inspire your personal and professional growth. Let's jump into it. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Mike Fada, and this is Founder to Mentor. I'm excited to host my friend, Aaron Spivak, co-founder of Hush. Uh, fired up to have this chat with Aaron with you all. Aaron is an athlete turned serial entrepreneur. Uh, he takes his health and wellness seriously. Uh, first co-founded Revitasize, an organic juice bar, which has locations in Toronto, and then co-founded Hush, which started out as the leader in uh, weighted uh, blankets. And in five years, five short years, I should say, Aaron has created tremendous success with Hush. Started out as a Kickstarter campaign, grew that to record revenue, eight-figure revenue, was on Dragon's Den, and was also a Forbes 30 Under 30 grad. And last year, uh, sold control of, of Hush to Sleep Country Canada. So tremendous success. Look forward to the conversation. Welcome to Founder to Mentor, Aaron. Thank you for having me. That was a great intro. You made me sound amazing. Yeah. Well, you've done a lot. So uh, there's lots to be proud of. Can you start out to give us an intro on yourself and uh, on Hush? Yeah. So... I mean, you, you did a good job there. Yeah, we started Hush yeah, almost five years ago, which is pretty crazy out of the second bedroom of my co-founder's condo. And I lived on the 22nd floor and he lived on the 19th. So he had a, a software business. I had the juicing business. So we'd work at that all day. I'd come home at like five or six. We would either try to work out or we'd get dinner. And then we'd work probably till like from six to like 12 or 1 a.m. every day. And we did that for a year, seeing if we can get Hush to the point where we can flip it and really scale this thing to the moon. And we were fortunate enough to sell out our first product. And eventually we hit our first summer and nobody bought from us. Everybody was like, this is too hot. I'm sweating in places I've never sweat before. I can't do this. And we were like, oh my God, thank God we didn't give up on our original business because we thought we were geniuses in January, February, March, but come summer months, no one wants this hot blanket in your bed. And right before giving up, and we really were, we're counting how many we had left. We called all of our customers and we we're like, hey, like real quick, before we give up on this business, like why wouldn't you buy this blanket right now when it's 30 degrees outside? And so many of them just said the same thing. They're like, I love the blanket. It does what you guys said it would do, but it's so hot. I'm just sweating. And that was kind of a light bulb moment for us to create a cooling weighted blanket, which is our iced fabric which changed our entire business. We launched that on Kickstarter to like a million and a half in 30 days. We came out with sheets with the ice material. We've had mattresses with that same technology and pillows. And it's just really allowed us to take it from a, a $700,000 business in our first year to doubling it to year after year after year until, until eventually selling it. It all came from that first terrible summer. Yeah, it's it's great. I mean, you guys are uh, you see it. You're still at it because you know you you got these uh, videos where you're like cranking <laughs> on the next product, the next launch, or whatever. So yeah. I, I think that's uh, that's in your DNA. But you you're still in your twenties, right? Yeah, exactly. and 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 launched uh, several businesses already. W what got you into business in the uh, in the first place? That's a good question. I think like I don't know. I I was that was like lemonade stand, you know, trying to upsell Oreos, kid on the corner. I don't know if I, I never thought of it as business. I always just loved kind of helping people. I had a party bus company in high school. We'd like, at one point we did 75% of the party buses in Toronto for proms. I always tell people like that was the richest point in my life. I was, I was like unbelievable at that point. And looking back, people were like, oh my God, did you think that's 
what it would be. And it was like, no, I just remember in grade eight, the girl that booked our prom, like, you know, they all come to the pre-prom room and takes photos. The buses didn't show up. And we're all like, oh my God. And it was the worst experience ever. And we had to get cabs. It wasn't Uber at the time. And I was like, what happened? And it turns out that her dad, rightfully so, didn't want to put a credit card down for 50 kids on a bus because they're going to do terrible things. And I realized, I was like, what if there was a service that you didn't have to put your credit card down, that the bus did show up and that it was clean? And then I went to all the principals and I was like, hey, I know you guys don't want the kids to drink on the bus. So I'll put a person, I'll put a security on the bus to prevent that. You just have to use my bus. And it just blew up. But it was the same concept. I'm like, I just wanted a good bus for me with the juices it was like there was nothing healthy i think it was subway and i, I was playing hockey it was like post game it was like subway health the healthiest option in 2012 so like we would go and juice and create healthy food at my house and then i was like i just want this for me and the same thing with the weighted blankets like i bought the ones on amazon and i would wake up and all the weight would be on my feet and i'd be like sweating i couldn't wash it because the cover didn't come off so it was, usually just comes around like building things that I know will help people and make a difference. And it just so happens that there's a lot of people who think and feel like I do. Yeah, I love that. I mean, you know, it's kind of how I got in the business too, you know, make make something that you want yourself and then you see, you know, does the world want it? And uh, how did you guys, uh, how did you finance uh, Hush? Was it all the Kickstarter when it, when it started going or did you, uh, did you take on investment? Yeah. So we, we bootstrapped it. Initially when we started the business, there was two things we wanted to avoid. We were like super clear about it. One was that we didn't want to, I don't know why, it was just like something where we wanted to hold all the equity. And then the second thing was, is we didn't want to, we didn't have that much money. So it's like, what are we going to do? Like, I, I think I must have had like 30 grand saved up from um, my previous business and my partner around the same. And we didn't want to drop ship. It was like, something that in our heads were like, we're just not interested in the drop shipping business. We don't want a customer to buy something on our website and get a package from a foreign country. So we've sold pre-orders straight on our website before Kickstarter and it worked and people started buying and we would call them and say, Hey, you know, we got a shipment coming in in a couple of weeks. Are you cool to wait? In some cases, no, but most cases, yes. And we were able to kind of take that cash up front and sell I think our first, before our first shipment landed, we had about a thousand pre-orders and that funded the next shipment and living off of our current businesses, it wasn't much, but being super frugal, we were able to kind of leverage the pre-orders to order more. And then what happened was with the new fabric, which was the ice fabric, no one's making this fabric. So it's not like we can just take it off someone else's mill. We needed to order 30,000 yards for them to even weave this fabric for us. And at that point, we're like, hey, I don't have $300,000 right now that we can't freeze. Like, there's just no way for us to get this. And that's when we went to Kickstarter and we're like, okay, you know, we got to do a half a million dollar campaign here. Or if we didn't, we would know that nobody wants this fabric and we'd have to go down that path. We were fortunate enough to do a million and a half and that allowed us to then fund that first production run. Yeah, I love that. I mean, and I've heard it from other entrepreneurs, but I feel like if you make something that's that's really rad that people want and they they'll pre-order it, uh, you, mm. you kind of know you got something, you know, or you got enough interest there for people that that they're they're really serious about it because who else, who's going to put their credit card down and then and then wait? Yeah, you know? and, yeah and like sometimes wait six weeks. It's like I don't even know if I would have done that, but it was cool to see the amount of people that were. Can you give us a, a an overview of where the company's at now? 
Yeah. So, well, in October 2021, we had the acquisition with Sleep Country, which was awesome. And we were very clear about staying on board. And we, we feel like we have a lot of unfinished business. Like you mentioned, like you still see us working late. Like it's, uh, it was at that point, it was only three and a half years. And that's like still young. I mean, we, we went from zero to, to 48 million bucks in 48 months on our own. And, and we were able to do it profitably, which is tough in the sleep space. As we all know, there's a lot of sleep companies out there that, that can't, can't do it. So we were, we we're excited about it, but we, we still felt like we want, like we had so much things on our vision board that we wanted to build out. So we had an amazing deal with an incredible partner that allows us to, to stay in control in terms of like, we're agnostic, we get to work on our own things, but we get to tap into resources and like the R and D team. Like I've got this, I'm like the crazy like scientist, like I need to do this and it needs to do that. And then now we have an R and D team to be like, sure. I found a guy in Italy who does that. I'm like, Oh my God, I would never have found that guy. So we've been able to speed things up. You know, it's been, it's been a definitely a tough year for, for a lot of businesses, specifically in e-com because the cost to acquire a customer has never been this high. So it allowed us to really refine, refine our processes. I find as the run and gun entrepreneurs, the systems is something we just don't have. So for us, it was really hiring some key people this year, retaining some key people. But it's been a very interesting year to go through because the last four years have just been like just shotgunning everything, just going crazy. And this was this was a year where we're like, if we keep shotgunning, we might be missing too much. We might be missing too many shots here. We gotta act. We gotta have the sniper rifle out. We gotta be more strategic. And I love it. Like it was kind of a really cool moment for a lot of brands in our space, specifically us, to take a small step back. And just realign and say, okay, yeah, we're going in the right direction. We're the same staff. We have like we have 26 staff. We do all of our own fulfillment, which is really unique. A lot of brands are doing 3PLs and stuff like that. And then we've launched four new products this year. We've gone into a little bit of the furniture with bed frames. We sourced an, a completely biodegradable pillow, like an eco pillow out of Italy, which was really cool. So we're still kind of pushing, but it's way more strategic now. And I'm kind of enjoying that because it's really nice to see you build something out, but before launch, you actually build a process to support it. And I've never done that before. It's always been like, launch it. We'll figure it out. We'll land where we land. And now it's like, just, it's more seamless, a little bit slower. But the slower times, the slower economic times, I feel like are is supporting that. It's like forcing us to go a little bit slower and be smarter about it. So that's kind of where we're at now. And hopefully uh, we're bullish on on where we're going, but we know that in the macro, it's it's an interesting time. Yeah, I mean, it's it's smart. I think for what you guys achieved, what you say, you know, like just shotgunning air, winging it before that, yeah. pretty incredible. Like from my experience, uh, you could do that, uh, you know, to maybe even like five or 10 million bucks in revenue. But after that, like to go to that 10 to 50 or 10 to 100 is really yeah. about process, like solid process and and or or there's just as much to kind of lose for the business as there is to gain. Talk about the uh, the difference in, in uh, you guys are selling in, in Canada and the U.S. The, the differences you've learned in the market as you're growing the brand in the U.S. versus Canada. Honestly, it's a great question. I feel like every Canadian brand thinks what works in Canada is going to work in the U.S. And then I actually think the inverse is true as well. Like every American brand just says they don't want to treat Canada as another state because of the size. But 
it's uh, it's really two different countries. And early on, I think first and second year, our approach was let's figure out what works in Canada and then we'll bring it to the U.S. And then we'd bring it to the U.S. and it would fail every single time. And we didn't know why. We're just like, I don't I don't get it. We are noticing, though, that now if we're taking a more strategic approach and when we're doing our marketing and when we're approaching specific customers, we're doing it by region and sometimes by state and sometimes a town within the state. And it's been working way better for us, but it's slower. And we don't, you know, that's why I'm saying the the macro is helping us because we don't have to grow 10x and 5x and 3x. Uh, I don't think anyone's expected to grow that right now. I think everyone just, if you're growing right now, that's just like, that's amazing. So that we take that pressure kind of that we put on ourselves, put that aside and say, hey, let's do this properly. So we are seeing some cool growth, but we're doing it. You know, we sell a lot of temperature regulating cooling products. So, you know, in the winter, it might not make sense for us to spend any money in freezing states. But, you know, California, Florida, like all these states are still loving our stuff. So before we'd waste so much money just trying to splatter all of the United States. But now we're super strategic with it. As opposed to Canada, it's like, okay, Canadians are very loyal to Canadians. They care about the story. So we're very much in your face about who we are. We're a Canadian brand. We're from Toronto. People have seen us on Dragon's Den. So the marketing is totally different. Uh, but the messages are very much the same. But with Canada, we can target kind of everyone. I mean, Quebec's got to have its own plan, but we've noticed that it's just, it needs to be, like even the, the team that works with our U.S. side of business is a U.S. team. It's just the only way to, to do it at this point. Yeah, I found that too. It was like different languages. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you, you could throw the uh, Canadian uh, hockey uh, uh, marketing into Canada, <laughs> grab, grab most of people's attention that way. <laughs> yeah, people like hockey in Canada, they're not in the U.S. What's, uh, how about uh, channel strategy? Like you guys started as a D2C brand, but now I, I've seen just, you know, from, from your social and stuff, you're launching into the Bay and, and, and maybe some other stores. How, how, how do you think about that kind of omni-channel or channel strategy? Yes, yeah, so we I think we're in like 7,000 doors now, probably, probably more. It's pro there's pros and cons to it, but a lot more pros than cons. It's for us, it's, you know, people are still actively buying betting in stores. I mean, the company that bought us in country, I mean, they, they crush it in store. They have 400 of them in Canada. So it's very much a, a touch and feel experience still. So to have places where people can go and shop our products is key. Like there's so many times on our website, on our chats, on our community, and our portals, Facebook group, wherever people are like, hey, where can I go and buy your sheets, your blanket? And then we then we realize they come back two days later and they buy it from us. And we're always like, hey, did you end up going? They're like, yeah, we went, we felt it, we liked it. I'm still going to buy it online because I want you to ship it in my house. I don't want to carry a 30 pound blanket or whatever they buy. But they want that touch and feel aspect too. And I think also post COVID, I find that myself too, like during COVID, I'm like, I'm never going to shop in store ever again. Like I'm buying everything online. Like my life's amazing. And then now I'm like, I wouldn't mind going to the mall on a Saturday and like, you know, trying on a couple things. And so that experiential component, I think is, is what we crave. You know, we're working on, on opening up a store of our own, which is going to be crazy for us. And like the number one focus of the store it's obviously the merchandise properly, but it's actually to create experiences for people. Cause so many, like we have so many questions, like 
why is it cooling? How is it cooling? You know, how is it organic? Well, how does the weight work? Why is your mattress better than the next guy? Like, why is your pillow? Like, what is a bio, like, what is a bio soy pillow? Like, how does that even make sense? So really being able to show people, have them touch and feel it, I think is going to be game changing for us. And so are you, um, you know, like it's only a certain amount of your products are, are that you would drive into uh, retail stores and like, how, how do you, are, are you, are you testing it first in, in D2C and then going into, uh, into brick and mortar? Or how do you, how do you think about the product uh, strategy into the, into the channel? Yeah. So it depends on the, on the retailer. So if it's like a big retailer, they might only merchandise one or two SKUs. You know, if you think of like TJX winners, Marshalls, it's really blanket or sheets. But if you're thinking of, there's a lot of like chains of, of sleeper mattress stores that have like six, seven, eight, ten locations in Canada or in the US specifically, they might do a whole hush setup where they have a bed and the blankets and the sheets and the pillows, they might have a whole section for it. So it really depends on the retailer and what they're trying to sell. Like uh, we've got Dix and Dillard's uh, out in the US and it's really just blanket. Uh, or just just a throw. And then there's some cases where we'll work directly with a retailer and create a specific product for them and do a, some sort of customization, whether it be a color, whether it be packaging. You know, we're working with Costco now on a very specific product that we don't sell anywhere else because they have different price points they want to hit and stuff like that. So we're very careful. We got to also protect the brand, protect the brand at the same time and deliver the quality that people expect from us because we are a premium sleep brand. Like you know, you're not going to find $30 sheets at, at Hush. But a lot of people in the space respect the logo when it's on a product. So we got to deliver on that. And then a lot of retailers want to take advantage of that logo in their store and sell product. So the way we look at it is in the perfect world, we're selling the exact same thing on our website as we are in store. But in some cases, we're also open to customizing it kind of like a private label in a way because we know we can deliver a high quality product regardless cool yeah thanks how about innovation how, how, like you guys started by just you know creating things and you say there's a little little more process to it now but like what what's inspiring your innovation like are you is that other brands that you're uh, that you're getting some uh, some creative from consumer research trade shows like how, how do you go about thinking about innovation for hush the one thing we try to avoid it's it's i find that it's it's hard in our space is we try to avoid the trends. So if something's like popping off on social media or on like TikTok or on whatever, everyone obviously sends it to us. Everyone's like, you got to check this out. You guys should be doing this. Like we try not to be like, oh my God, we have to do it. We have to do this right away. What we do and something we've done since day one is we innovate through our customers and through our, our community. So we, we've got like a 10,000 person VIP community that we communicate with almost daily. There's something going on in that group every day. And we'll hop on, Leo and I, sometimes it's, you know, on a video live, sometimes it's just an email or a text or a post. And we'll say, hey, like, what's one thing that you use on a daily basis in your bedroom, in your bath, whether it be, it can even be a towel, that we should innovate and, and why? And thousands of people will come and be like, you know, when we launched our pillow, we sold 3,000 pillows in 72 hours. And everyone's like, oh, what was the, like, what was the trick? And it was a, like, there was no trick. We called people for over a thousand hours over four months asking them, Hey, I know you sleep with a pillow. Cause we didn't sell a pillow at the time. I know you sleep with one every single night. And I know it's not mine because I don't sell one. But if you were to make a perfect pillow for yourself, what would it have to have? 
And we realized that, you know, some people wanted big pillows and soft pillows and some people wanted memory foam and some people wanted down and some people wanted cooling. Some people didn't. And we're like, okay, perfect. We're just going to make a fully adjustable pillow. One side cooling, one side not. Uh, has some microfoam, has microfiber, like completely adjustable. You can, And then some people wanted a travel bag. So it comes with a little travel pouch you can fill up with the foam. And like, we just made a pillow for them. And then when we launched it, we just sent an email and said, hey, remember the pillow you asked us to build? We built it. And then it went bonkers as opposed to trying to think of what people want. Same thing with our mattress. So we do that on a regular basis. And we're noticing that people trust us when it comes to products in their bedroom. But there's a lot of products we don't have. I mean, we're only four years old. We got a lot of products with 40 different SKUs, but there's a lot of products we don't have. And we're excited to continue to innovate that. Like we launched robes. People love lounging around their robe. The Eco Pillow was based on a huge customer segment wanting a memory foam-like feel. And so we're like, okay, we've got to launch that. And then we had a ton of pushback on sustainability. So that was our first entry into a fully sustainable biodegradable product, which people really like. So that's how we innovate. I find growing within our community is more of a strategy for us as opposed to trying to get viral like products that everybody runs to. And it's been working for us. I think at some point there'll be more viral products that naturally happen within our, our time frame, but I like to grow just based on what people, I what our customers want as opposed to just people on the internet. Yeah, I like that. I, I mean, I, it makes me think about uh, farming instead of hunting, you know, when you when you can go out there to your community and and talk to entrepreneurs about that because it, it starts, you know, the, the, the micro scale that is being at a farmer's market and you make something, you're selling it there, but at the same time, you're asking customers, like, what else would you like? You know, whether you're making a... Uh, sleep products or you're making a jars of sauce or some kind of food product, you can ask them like, what else would you want from me? And then, and then if, you know, it's, you guys did get into that scale and is that a, is it a Facebook group or is it email group or what, what do you, so we've got a a VIP Facebook group, which has been really cool. And then we've got a, kind of like private uh, close friends that we do on Instagram for those VIPs. Then, then the emails and SMS, depending on what we're talking about, but you know, like the new store we're opening, like there's so much that we're sharing, but we're not sharing yet. Soon we'll start sharing a lot more. And, you know, there's so many questions like, Hey, if Hush were to open up a store, what would it have to have to have you to come in? You know, or what would you expect? You know, the last thing we would want is to open up a store and everyone comes in and they're like, well, I thought you would have this seems like a no brainer. Like, how do we not think of that? And we want our customers to come and we want them to support us. And we know that like, CPMs are going up, cost to acquire customers are going up, attention is, why not leverage the, you know, we have 250,000 customers, probably 10,000 actually still love us. The rest of just, you know, they buy and they move on like a lot of people do, but why not leverage the people that actually are part of what we're building? There's the Facebook, we basically use all channels, but they always lead back to the Facebook because that's where the conversations happen. People post gift cards for each other and they have questions and they're helping each other. There's a lot of sleep questions going on and we can also notice things that happen within our products. So like instead of having a new product launch and there's a defect with it, or, or maybe it just doesn't, the box didn't open properly or something like that. Instead of getting trashed online from people that are trying to reach you, they just go in this group and people help each other and say, Hey, you know, you just got to turn the box around or, you know, just it's easier to wash. You just got to flip it inside out. Little things like that, little t- t- tips mm-hmm. and tricks. And it alleviates a lot of like the stress people have with brands that, you know, when they first get introduced to them. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's all about community, right? So you guys got it. And, uh, and now it's like, what, what can you make of it? Uh, um, which is uh, probably the exciting point for a five-year-old business. What's the craziest thing that's happened to you in business? Oh, a good thing or bad thing? <laughs> be either one, you know. Hey, uh, 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 you know, we've talked about a lot of good things happening. Yeah, definitely. So a good, our first ever real Christmas, which was the Christmas of 2019. So 2018, the business, it was just, it was a terrible summer. And, you know, that Christmas wasn't crazy. We were doing maybe a thousand bucks, two thousand bucks a day in sales, which was like wild for us. And so that business was a $700,000 business. The next year we 10 x it to just over pretty much an $8 million business. Uh, was same, just me and Lior and one other staff. So not much change, just insane. Right. And then heading into our first Christmas, we had, we just didn't know what to expect. There's just something called golden week in China, which we now know is not golden at all. It's a terrible week. And it's essentially the first, it falls around the last week. Of, it's basically right now, the last week of September, first week of October. And what signifies this week is if your stuff doesn't get out before golden week, there's no, there's no chance you're getting it for Christmas. We didn't know that. We're like, oh, three, three weeks in the water, two weeks at the port. Math made perfect sense. We can order in October. We're going to get our stuff end of November, early December. And we sold 12,000 pre-orders with guaranteed Christmas shipping because like, it just made sense. We had the time. And this was the year that the PS5 dropped. And we sell a $400 weighted blanket. PS5s are around four or $500. So for a lot of parents, it was like, do I buy something that might ruin my kid's life and make them never sleep? Or do I buy something that helps them sleep because they're not sleeping so well? And it was our biggest Christmas ever. And we're super optimistic. Like, hey, it's going to land. Like, you know, we're following up with the port. And it lands December 1st. I'm like, oh, thank God we're going to get it in a week. We've already printed all these labels. You know, I've got an army of like 20 to 30 of my friends. And we're going to label like crazy. We're going to get these things out the door. And then the port calls me and they're like, hey, you know, uh, nothing crazy, but, you know, typical six week delay this time. We'll let you know in the new year when your stuff gets released. I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> we've got eight containers at the door i've got labels i've already paid for and i'm like and i i was like i was gonna fly to vancouver like i was gonna do everything possible and it was became clear about a week later that there was just there was no chance that i was getting our goods and we had to come with our tail between our legs to twelve thousand people and let them know that they're not getting a refund or their christmas gift this year and there was a like we've got bomb threats. We got like it was people were attacking our office. They were sending hate mail, like handwritten letters about like how much they hate us. Uh, there was a group called Hush is a scam. Uh, there was sixteen hundred people in this group, and they would like talk every day about how much they hate us. And they would they would attack ads. So like imagine you launch a new ad. There's like four hundred comments about how we're a scam, like immediately. And then they would like go on. Be we have like we're like the lowest rating of bbb because they would upload like 401 stars a day at one point it was insane our we had to get delisted from google because we had so many one star reviews and then we did this whole like campaign to like make everybody happy again with like t-shirts and cards and like got them something that they can put under the tree in the meantime like it was just it was a war zone it was so 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 it took us like four months 
it took us till March of the of the following year. COVID kind of like distracted everybody because then it was 2020 and March hit. So everyone stopped thinking about how much they hate the way to blank company because there's other things going on. And then we pivoted and we did a bunch of good stuff for the community and it really helped. But that was the that was the, probably the toughest eight months, I think, of all time, literally screwing over 12,000 people on Christmas. It was insane. Yeah, that's that's a that's a pretty crazy one that, <laughs> yeah, that the business survived and uh, and thrived. Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah, I don't, not only, I actually a few of those people are in our Facebook, like are in our VIP group now. They actually were were super empathetic, but a lot of a lot of people just wrote you guys off. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. it. It would people would message anyone comment something nice on our ads. They would message them and be like, "I saw you wrote something nice. Delete it. This terrible company." And it was it was tough. Shifting gears a bit, how has the how's life changed for you since uh, since selling the business? Like personally, yeah, just, yeah, you know, And I'd love to hear the uh, you know, not uh, a lot of entrepreneurs think that it's uh, that, that it's just uh, butterflies and rainbows on the other side of that, and and uh, and I, I know a little different, so I always like to pull out you know both the positive and maybe if there's any uh, kind of negative aspect to that as well. Yeah, I mean, Lior, Lior, and I were very big like goal setters and and manifestors to the point where we would touch and feel things way before they happen and we'd really you know get to the point where we're like deep into what we wanted and we knew we you know for us it was we have this saying that some people agree with you might agree with where we don't really get to enjoy it because we've already enjoyed it for the years that we were building so like i remember like the week after whatever like leo and i were just like fist bump and it was kind of like, we should be way happier right now. Like this is, you know, I've always wanted to be able to take care of my family and take care of my mom. Like I, this is, this is me being able to to do everything I wanted as a kid. Like this is exactly it. And then it took like a little bit of therapy and a, like a lot of conversations to realize that I've been enjoying it. Like I've, I've enjoyed the whole buildup to that moment. And it was super clear for years how it was going to end and where we were going to go. So I don't want to say it wasn't a surprise because it could have just happened differently, but it wasn't like you won the lottery and it's like, oh my God, it came out of nowhere. And like, you're super elated. It was like the pr- the process to that point, we got to enjoy it and the good and the bad. But post acquisition, I think we're super, super lucky to have them as partners. I remember we were talking to some PE firms at the same time. And I mean, could have been great too, but I would have bet that it would have been a much different story considering the macro, considering all the things that are happening. Like, you know, they they truly are partners. And it's so cool because we're like young, crazy, ambitious entrepreneurs and they're like 30-year-old legacy business, like just still growing 30 years later, like perfect systems, like just so beautiful. And we're like this messy, like crazy out of the box. And then for us to like see that, and get to learn that because I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs, I mean, I'm one of them to get to the point where you want to, you know, not learn how to build a system. You just want to build a system because like it takes so long, but seeing how valuable it is, like really understanding that, like, don't do it unless you're going to support it with a system. And is, is it even worth it to support it with a system? Maybe we don't even do that right now. Those conversations never happened for four years. So from a professional standpoint, I'm learning a ton. Like I'm in rooms I would never have been in. If it wasn't for our business, I'm in part of conversations I would never be a part of at 27. So that aspect's been great. Personally, definitely interesting. You have a severe imposter syndrome. You're like, wait a second, I kind of want to, I don't want to be that guy that like got it and like made a stupid move and like it all goes away. And like, you know, like 
I just wanted to, I had to do a few months of just relaxing a little bit of mentorship, a little bit of talking to to guys who've been through it like yourself. And then I realized that like, why does anything have to change? So there's nothing that needs to change. I, I bought my mom a gift and that's it back to work. So that's how it's been when kind of just right back at it. Same thing with the goals. I realized that in the, the, the money didn't really, it was just a byproduct of what we were building and we have kind of have unfinished business. So I I think that for, for me personally, it's, it was just kind of validation that we were on the right track. Like it was like, yeah, like we, we proved it that we were right about where we were going, but nothing else has really changed. I don't, I don't know. I feel like maybe some people will go a little bit crazy, but I just kind of, kind of went back right at it. I didn't want to change like who I was. I mean, I'm still a crazy go get it balls to the wall. I can't really do anything half-ass. So I wasn't going to take my, get my foot off the pedal at all, but I do think at some point because I'm kind of dipping it, my toes into it, it, using it as a vehicle to get involved in some other really cool businesses. I know, I know you do that really, really well. Like I feel like that would be cool too, to like work with some other crazy, fun, exciting entrepreneurs and bring whatever I can offer to the table. And I think that now that validation and a little bit of money will help, you know, create those opportunities for me, but not there yet. Yeah. No, thanks for sharing that. I did see the post of uh, of you buying your mom a, 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 a Range Rover. It's got to feel like uh, it's got to feel pretty cool. But what I got out of that and and it's, you know, it's been my experience as well. It, you know, it really is about the journey. The destination at the end is 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 not as sweet as the journey. And, and, and probably, you know, especially at your age, like in your 20s, I'm in my in my mid 40s, but like, in your twenties, you know, what do you want to do? You just want to, you want to play the game and, and, and kind of get back in there, which is, it's pretty unique that you guys have been able to do that with a strategic uh, sale. Like you would have, you would have got that opportunity for sure. If there would have been a PE or financial partner, but many entrepreneurs, when they sell their business to a strategic, you know, don't have a role there, you know, and, and, uh, and don't get to be part of the journey and, and, uh, and maybe experience that kind of next level of business or, um, you know, more of a mature operation and how their, how their little business can now impact this uh, kind of more of a global, uh, global enterprise. I'm stoked for you on that one. And then, yeah, I think it does, uh, as you kind of get the opportunity to, or interest in branching out, uh, it's fun too. I'm, I'm like two years away, I think, but I've, uh, I, I just, not even investing, just getting to speak. I mean, I, I mean, you do this, like this, you love doing this, but I, I know why you love speaking to founders and stuff like that. Cause it's, it's cool. I feel like the last four years I've had a few like internet friends, you know, because also because of COVID, but now that like everyone's kind of out and, and meeting people, it's cool to see um, how similar a lot of founders are. Everyone's fighting the same fight and everyone's trying to, to do you know the same and they have their own little special thing and i love it I, I call it the sparkle in the eye like when you like see that someone's just like whatever it is they're doing they just like they're fully into it it's energy that you just want to be you just want to be around you just want to pick up on that and it's i love it yeah i, I see you out there too like I, just for me it's mentorship but like what is what does mentorship mean to you now kind of in the in the spot you're in it's, it's interesting because i do a little bit of consulting like two hours a month I cap it because I'm still fully in the trenches and working but the reason I do it is because in most cases I'm also learning scrappier potentially now like 
younger brands to see, you know, was what worked for us in 2018. It went, I mean, it's not working for us now. We're doing something else, but might be someone else might be working on something that's also pretty cool. No one was doing what we were doing in 2018. We were just destroying Google shopping arbitrage. No one was doing that. Now it's like standard practice. You have to have that going. So I'm, I love being tapped into the younger and the scrappier brands because they're usually finding things that it might take us a little bit more time to land on. But I honestly, there's something, it kind of ties back to the same reason I'm even in business in terms of creating things that other people really enjoy. And just A, being really close to someone and watching, watching them go, I, I get like crazy joy out of it. And if I can help in any way and like just be a part of someone's journey, like I think that's awesome. I love, I love when other people crush it, when they, they believe in something, they're unwavering with their energy and, and it, and it pans out. It's, it's so cool to watch. And I, I just, for me, it's, it's the beauty of the game. It's so, so difficult. It really, really is. And it's so easy to quit kind of like a marathon, but like a really long one. It's like an ultra marathon because it's just so much pain and, and, and risk and uncertainty. And I just love sometimes, sometimes people just need to know they're, that they're in the right direction. And if I can be even just that for someone like, Hey, no, that's actually really special. What you just said, like you're kind of underplaying the fact that you're driving 80% of your traffic from TikTok. Like, you know, everyone of us is trying to do that and you're doing it. Like stop downplaying that. That's crazy. And they're like, Oh my God, really? Like, so like some people just need a little bit of a push and it's, and that's how, what it was for us. I remember our first conversation with a person we thought was going to buy us in year one. I don't even know why we thought that. And we were explaining our Google arbitrage and his brain was exploding. He's like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm like, yeah, like I literally own shopping. I own all the listings on shopping. And then we crushed, we used that and we leveraged it on Amazon and something we thought was standard practice. We we're like, yeah, but it's not that great. Like we got to find other channels. He's like, no, you guys understand you're on a gold mine. And like just that one sentence was like, oh my God, we should focus on this. And that helped us go crazy. So if I can be that for somebody else, like I get so much joy out of it. I love seeing other people win. Yeah, well, for sure. I think, I think you got to your benefit. You're going to have 40, 50, 60 years of that. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it's so true, you know, when, when the younger or, you know, just new entrepreneurs are coming into things, they sometimes just need that. Like you are in the right exact space that you're supposed to be. And guess what? Like 99% of entrepreneurs are probably give the right arm to be in your position because you're, you're, you're killing it. And then that, kind of fires them up and and can uh, and can even do more so what's uh what are some of the brands that you're you're watching or you you draw inspiration from Ooh, that's a good question I dive deep into a lot of different brands and I, and I try to even get to know the people behind it and I find that not everyone's the best at everything and what I'll do is I'll draw inspiration from certain things that that people are doing like in my in my space and I, I say my space like d to c I'm a big fan of brands that I've been able to use, like this is more recent, I've been able to use photography to sell product. And like that was so 2013, 14 with like Instagram and Facebook. And then everyone kind of went away from that. But like brands like Monos, like Travel, and, and I know Victor, like the way they, they do photo shoots and then sell product. And I'm just like, how do you do that? it's the coolest thing ever. You know, we got to like go out there and do videos and go crazy and like, just like really aesthetic photos that resonate with their potential customer and it just sells. So like that is just amazing. I mean, on your shirt as well, like midday, just, I love the way they do social, right? So I just love it. Obviously I 
I, I know Jake and the guys and like I say we we have a little bit of a loudness to it but they're just next level and I love the way they do social on TikTok I love the Strix guys the the men's makeup there's just so many cool brands that I draw I draw a lot of inspiration from and I also pay attention on the opposite actually I pay I pay attention to a lot of brands that lose steam and I I always tell our team and and I'd be curious to even to know your opinion on it like Momentum is so easy to lose, but so hard to build. And it's something that we're like constantly, you know, I would say the first three, four months of this year, we we just kind of, it was post acquisition. We were just like doing so much. We, we just forgot about the momentum. We were just like so in our own world. And then we had to pick our head up and be like, wait a second, guys, like we got a lot to talk about here. Like we launched more products this year than any other brand in our space. We haven't even told anyone about them. So now we've kind of like, done that come back out and brands that maintain momentum i feel like it's a superpower it's almost unstoppable it's like a, a snowball rolling down the hill it's just going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger so we draw in a lot of brands for certain things for sure but also like try to stay true to our own identity like everyone's trying to figure out tiktok and trying to figure out this and it's just like what's our what's our direction here like what's true to us like i'm sure in the cpg space everyone's probably trying to be loud like midday but is that really their thing? Like, is, is that even who they are? Well, I think it, it speaks to authenticity, which is is critical, right? And I know you, you know you bring up midday squares, or or and, and really Jake as being the front man, or the rainmaker of of the, yeah. you know, you hang out with Jake, and that's how he is. There's no turning that off. So it's not it's not <laughs> like putting it on for a brand standpoint, but maybe it, it you know transitions into you know your thoughts on on building a personal brand as an entrepreneur, as a, as a founder. Like if you're starting again, or or just where you're at right now, would you uh, would you do it any different or how do you think about a personal brand? Oh, ask me two years ago, I would tell you, don't get distracted. Now I think it's one of the most important things you have to. Eh? I truly believe, and there's so many brands that prove this statement wrong, but I don't know if they're profitable and I don't know what's going on in the background, but I truly believe that people buy from people. I mean, I, I went into Whole Foods in New York City the other day and just like the drinks, like there's that fridge with the drinks there was like a million brands. I was like, what am I buying? I came in for a water. Like how many types of water could there possibly be? I was like overwhelmed. And there was one that I saw on like social media and it was like Olipop or something. And I saw him on LinkedIn. I'm like, oh, I know that guy. Boom, I grabbed that one. So same thing with, I want a luggage and I, I'm traveling a lot. You know, I, I've met Victor, he's on socials. I know a lot about his brand. I know his story. Like, boom, I need luggage. I'm going to Monos, right? That's how I feel. And it's not because I'm a founder and I like supporting other founders. I feel like everybody likes supporting people. And farmer's market, I'll go and buy the 40 overpriced $40 honey because I'm like I, the guy's story and he's like, did, farmed it. And it's like, cool. I know it's legit and I know who it is. It's the same thing. And it's tough to do at scale, but with social media now with like, the ability to like create stories and just blast it out there. I think it's more possible. I think it's just possible. Right. And I've like lent, like went all in on that, like for the last year and a bit. And it's done, it's done so much. I mean, it helped us sell our business. Mm -hmm. So I feel like every founder, if you don't like being on video, start typing. If you don't like typing, start going on video. And if you don't like neither, Find someone else to record you and do it for you. Like you, you need to be spreading the med. We all have a story. All of us have something really cool to share. All of us have 
issues and troubles and mistakes and family. Like we have so much. I want to hear it. You know, like the last thing I want is someone who doesn't care about their product and somehow has cool packaging and sells me on it. Like I really want to support people. And I find that the founders in today's world, because there's it's so easy to start a business now, like Shopify site incorporation for 500 bucks on owner.com. And like, I'm up and running by Thursday of next week. It's easy to start, but I find that every founder needs to have some sort of presence. I, I got to know who's behind it. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. I, I you know, obviously big believer. I, I say like, you could be doing the best thing in the world. If no one knows about you, you, you got no opportunity. Right. And even how I learned about you or, or, and hush, like it was a LinkedIn post. I, I still remember it. It was like, you were writing, a, you wrote about, I think, Hush got distribution in a store they used to work at and you're writing like to yeah, my ma dear manager Mark. <laughs> yeah. They said like, you weren't going to do anything or you weren't going to mount anything. And so, you know, it was yeah. that story. And then I was like, Oh, wait a sec, this is a cool story. And then, and then who's behind the story and then the product. And, and then, and then I bought the first weighted blanket from that. So I, it's a huge believer in that. And, and, and you're right. Everyone says like, I don't have a story. Everyone has a story. You know, we're living in a time when, for the last decade or almost two, like reality TV is the hottest thing in, in TV <laughs> because people want to learn about other people and then people want to support other people. So, so if anyone that's listening, if you're thinking about that as an as an entrepreneur, just get yourself out there and, and, and do it right. Take pictures, take video, whatever is going to serve you well, but just be authentic and, and share your story. Hey, um, Aaron, regular habits that you have or routines that you believe are, are an integral part of your success? Oh, you know, I'm not a get up at 5am, one hour meditation. Like I'm not, for me, it's really diet is, is quite important. I'm definitely known to have a, a croissant every now and then. And, but I, I, I'll know based on how I feel what's going on. And for me, it's plan tomorrow today is kind of like my biggest thing. And I stole that from my co-founder when I first met him five years ago. And I truly believe that nobody on this planet is good enough to just wing it. I don't think it's possible at any at any significant level, at least. So I don't plan on winging anything. So I know, okay, I know what I'm I'm doing today. I know what my schedule it is. And I'm, I'm scheduling like everything in. I'm talking, I mean, I don't have kids, but you know, if I want it, when I want to see my parents, you know, I'm scheduling that in. I'm scheduling if I need to go somewhere, I'm scheduling what type of work I should be doing. You know, there's so many times where it's like, don't tell me what you're doing, just show me what you're doing. In most cases, like, you know, there's been times we look back on weeks because it's all detailed out. And I'm like, I spent like the entire week on email. Like, email doesn't help my business. Like I'm, I'm the receiver of everyone's inbound shit. I'm not selling anyone on email. Why am I on email all day? So really being intentional a day in advance. Okay, how's my day look like tomorrow? Is that supportive of the way I want to feel, the type of life I want to live? And is it helping our business grow? Like, am I even doing the proper, am I in line with our goals here? And so many times when you write it down, you look at it and you're like, oh my God, I'm literally doing this, the dumbest things. So that's kind of my routine. My routine is just to make sure I'm, I'm planning my things way ahead so that when I wake up tomorrow morning, I'm not guessing. Like today, I, I knew we were, we were doing this at 10. I didn't like, I didn't have to like guess and like be like, hey, wait, did I, am I doing something? Like, I just knew. And then like after this, I know what time my flight is. I know what time I have dinner tonight with my family. Like it's very, I'm just executing. So that's my routine. My dream is like be ahead, plan way ahead, and then just execute, execute, execute. And sometimes you miss, which is cool. But like, I'll notice like, okay, if I'm not planning in my meals, I don't eat. And if I don't eat, then I'm going to run out of energy. And then when I run out of energy, I have terrible work days. And then it just snowballs. So all that is super intentional, but I'm like a big, 
workout sauna red light cold tub yeah like i got a cold tub in my place i got a sauna like i got a sauna as well like i want to feel i want to perform and feel my best every single day to the point where if i'm a little bit off i'll know but i need that like i'm a high energy guy uh, i get creative when i'm high energy people expect high energy out of me there's people around me like they can't wait it's kind of like you know what i think jake's an amazing example of that like when i see jake i'm like i better have high energy because i got to match his energy Cause I know he's coming in at a hundred miles an hour. So it's that same thing that I know people want that on my end and, and I want that for myself. So routine is planning it out. super key for me. Yeah. Well, and you're coming from at, from, from being an athlete. So, you know, I, I know that you, uh, you live the, uh, uh, athlete as an entrepreneur lifestyle and, and, and as do I, but I, I do love the, um, the scheduling things out and time blocking it because I, I, I realized, and you know, lots of change throughout my life as well. Like that's the best way to manifest. How do you manifest, have a clear vision of what you want in life. And then even more so, what does it look like? How long is it going to take? And put that in your calendar. And then, and then guess what? Those things happen, you know, like you, you actually accomplish more and, you know, to the point now I, I like schedule my free time, my thinking time. Like I'm just going to, yeah. nothing's going to be on the calendar. Uh, and if I don't do that, you know, so it, it's not getting done or, or, or I can be less, uh, less productive. So I think that's, I think that's one that we're going to see more and more entrepreneurs go towards like take 100% care of their health and, and diet, nutrition and, and exercise exercise and all the detox and cleansing and stuff, but then like clearly vision out what you want and what is a good week. What is, you know, I say best day ever, but what does your day look like? What does your week look like? Schedule it in your calendar. And then, and then you're going to accomplish that, you know, and you can enjoy the journey more when you pre-think about all of that, instead of trying to just wing it in the moment. One thing I have is a public, my calendar is public. So my entire team can see everything that I'm up. And for a lot of people, they don't want to share their calendar because there's a lot of empty bullshit on there <laughs> and uh, there's nothing going on, but they, they got these big plans. So like my, my calendar is fully public and it's just to, yeah, hold myself accountable. It also allows everyone else around me or in the organization to like see, okay, if they need the, and it just sort of cleans everything up. And then it also makes, keeps me accountable to kind of consistently make sure that I'm, I'm also lined up on the right track. So my calendar is like my, without that, I don't even know what I'd probably be lost without it. Love it. Anything else that you want to uh, share that I didn't ask you about? No, I mean we covered a lot. Yeah, it's we, been a good. It's been a good conversation. Covered a lot. What's the best way for people to connect with you if they want to connect? You know, a year ago I would say LinkedIn, but something I don't know what happened with LinkedIn, or maybe it's just my LinkedIn. My messages are just rocked. I just can't get. To, I can't do it. It's impossible to sort, and it's tough to clean up, and it's just it's just so messy. So. Definitely connect with me on LinkedIn because that's probably where I share most of my content. But my quietest place is on my Instagram. It's the easiest easiest place to get to me. And it's just Aaron.speedback. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm new on TikTok. Had a couple uh, viral videos. So I know how cool it is, but I'm still figuring it out. But I'm, I'm, I love, I'm a big fan of, of TikTok. So sure, connect with me there. It's the same Aaron.speedback. But yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, thanks so much, Aaron. I appreciate it. I, I value your time and uh, and we spent some good time. So I know that the uh, listeners are going to love hearing, uh, hearing your stories. Thanks. And uh, I would just, before we wrap up, I want to give a shout out and make sure that everyone listening is aware of our mass mentorship toolkit at fatafleischman.org. It's a free resource for entrepreneurs, over a thousand different tools and templates that Greg Fleischman and I use to grow and scale our business, uh, investor list, forecast templates, uh, HR documents. Uh, it's all for free. You can check it out at fatafleischman.org. Thanks again, Aaron, and uh, my best to you. 
Thank you for listening to the Founder to Mentor podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to check out the links and resources in the show notes. You can help the show, please, by subscribing and leaving a positive review. As always, feel free to get in touch with me on social at Mike Fata. That's it for now. See you next time.